great distraction. As the media focuses on Robert Mueller, Congress and the President reach a historic spending agreement. Are conservatives too distracted to defeat this spending binge? We talk the politics of political distraction. The Fury Theory starts right now. The Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. Adam Belmar, uh, you are the only one I know who watched the entire, both hearings. I only watched one of them. Uh, were you distracted by the hearings? What did you think? Okay, I just want to reject this whole idea that somehow Donald Trump or Republicans are involved in distraction. What we saw yesterday from a rather old, slow, not at his best Robert Mueller was exactly what the Democrats wanted. They were the ones who called these hearings. They're the ones who wanted to gain momentum towards impeachment. They're the ones who wanted an audio book on tape of the Mueller report, and they didn't get it. So don't blame Republicans for the farce that was yesterday. I'm not sure if I'm blaming Republicans. I'm actually blaming the political class. We have this, and the media. The media is completely focused on this old, doddering fool. And my theory on this, and why this is so bad for the Democrats, is... You know, I did not call Mueller an old doddering fool. Well, he looked like an old doddering fool. He, he, he was monosyllabic. Remember that guy, that mafia figure who uh, would kind of appear in slippers and robes and stuff like that? I can't remember the, the, the chin. It was kind of like Robert Mueller reminded me of. He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to answer that question. It was pretty, it was a pathetic performance. Halting, confused. Halting, Those confused. are words that were used a lot by the media. John Eason, did you watch? Um, yeah, I watched some of it, sure. And what were your thoughts? I, I feel like Bob Mueller warned the Democrats about this. He said, I do not want to testify. Uh, it's all right here in this book. And I'm going to reiterate what's in this book. And so he comes up there and he, to the, in the Democrats, certainly, I mean, he underperformed because he just wasn't a great witness for sort of the, the elevation of this, of this, of this here, of these hearings. And therefore, the Democrats were sorely disappointed, right? They were sorely disappointed, and um, I, it just reinforced what I think everybody already believed, and and he was not a good witness. He was not a good witness, Adam Belmar. What I thought about this was this guy was not running this investigation. Who was running it was Andrew Weinstein and all these Democrats. And so, you know, Mueller has all the, this integrity and reputation, but he looked like he was way out of it. Yeah, I can't deny that. And as a former network television news booker, sometimes you, know, you, you go to air with the witness you have, not the witness you want. They wanted the robust 20, you know, 2004 Mueller. But they got the old, old, not so good Mueller. And uh, in the end, uh, it was very, very hard to make any kind of case or narrative out of that hearing. He wasn't reading. He wasn't really testifying. He wasn't, by all objective observation, uh, in charge, maybe of himself, of the investigation. There's no doubt about all of the things that he brings to the table and what makes him such a superlative American. Um, but this was just a flat-out disaster. If you call this a nothing burger <coughs> yesterday, that would be an understatement. Yeah, and I think that, again, I think that's the particularly... Jerry Nadler's fault uh, for for having such high expectations of of a, right. of a witness who has already telegraphed what this is all about. I'm giving you this report. It's now in your hands. 
right? And so for them to pull up, they wanted to change the narrative of this. They, they want did. they wanted him to say lots of things that were in that book so they could just bring more, as they say, bring more life into it, you know, uh, spark this thing, this, this perhaps this impeachment uh, move movement and it didn't because he did exactly what he said at his press conference and, and he also is really old yeah and he's old uh john easton let's talk to I me mean, we're talking about Mueller when we should be talking about this budget mm-hmm. my theory is that this budget agreement really really helps the president really helps him because it gets past the debt limit we're going to have some spending fights going forward probably some disagreements on the wall again but it looks unlikely that the government's going to shut down which i think is really good for the president what do you think yeah that's right and you know, let's let's not confuse this with good policy because i don't i don't think anything anybody who has any experience in this town thinks that this is actually good policy when you jam everything up in, into the last minute, there's almost never good policy, particularly on the budget. But remember what this is. This is an agreement to extend, uh, you know, budget authority and, and, and raise the caps of the, of the um, you know, the spending limits that were imposed on Congress uh, years ago. Um, but they still have to pass the appropriations bills. Uh, you know, they will probably get an extension past uh, September 30th, like they always do, which will push it into November, you know, October, November, even December. I'm sure they're, they're going to be there Christmas Eve trying to get out of this. But um, is, is the deal itself good for – absolutely, it's good for the president. It's good for both parties, but just like it would be a real – really damaging for the president if he, he um, did not sign off on a deal like this. It's particularly good for him that he did. And, and Adam Belmar, thinking about these big budget battles, you know, I think the president came in last year saying, I want a big shutdown over immigration. That's where I want to put all my eggs in that, that over the wall. Uh, seems this way, this time, all, he doesn't really want a big budget battle. What, what he really wants is to prove that he can govern. Yeah, he really screwed it up last time. He now recognizes that. He was tough and a winner then. Now he's uh, more political uh, and uh, more effective. He gets the, the sort of dub of governing, as you just uh, said, and I think that's right in election year. Um, I also think that uh, you know it's really important for people to remember that what John Easton just said, the authority and the immediate danger of a shutdown um, authority been granted, shut down pretty much off the table, but it is a boon for lobbyists because uh, figuring out exactly where all this money goes and how it works out is, is what we do for a living. It's what Washington does. There's still a lot of work to be done there, and the president can affect this with his leadership if he tries. I, I, I want you to be clear on something. Lobbyist is not a bad word. They're, they're very good people. Uh, I know some lobbyists. Actually, I am a lobbyist. <laughs> uh, so let's be clear on that. I didn't uh, try and say it punitively. I mean, okay. I know where I my, know, my, I know, my I, is I, 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 well, okay. You don't lobby per, per, per se. You, you influence, but you don't lobby. You don't register to lobby. We lobby. Okay, 007, <laughs> 006, and I'm sort of money penny. <laughs> uh, John Easton, the president tipped us off when he appointed Steve Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary as opposed to Russ Vogt or um, uh, Mick Mulvaney to negotiate with mm-hmm. Hill, right? Yeah. Well, and that's what the Democrats wanted, too. I think that they uh, Mnuchin is somebody that they feel they can trust and feel that they can have a dialogue with. And I think it was a very good move on the, on the other side to let him be that point person. And he is a little bit more reasonable. And and there's a lot of experience with Steve Mnuchin in these types of discussions, whereas some of the others that you mentioned, you know, his chief of staff, uh, Mick Mulvaney and uh, Grogan and Vote, these guys are, are 
a lot harder edged about yeah. this stuff, and they probably wouldn't mind taking it to the brink again. If you talk to any conservative, Adam Belmar, they're like, I hate this thing, but they're probably going to, most conservatives, most Republicans are going to vote for this. Yeah, because it's it's the lesser of two evils in a world where Republicans are supposed to be for small government and not explosive budget deficits and spending, which is exactly what this represents, by the way. Um, they should not be for this. And yet in, in, in this world, under this president, at this time with this fact pattern, Everybody's happy to get it voted on and try and walk away from this steam. I think that's right. And talking about Donald Trump, uh, Adam Belmar, this guy is a master of political distraction. And I, I was thinking about this in the context of we last week we talked about the squad, uh, his attacks on um, Omar and mm-hmm. AOC, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, that was kind of a distraction from the Jeffrey Epstein story, you know, uh, and which is really kind of went on the back burner. Um you know, the president understands political distraction. He's good at it. Is he doing it intentionally, or is it just going to work out that way? I always believe the president is intentional when it comes to distraction. Um, and up to and including, by the way, uh, his very well-timed tweets yesterday. For a guy who wasn't going to watch, he saw enough. Um, and then he sort of ended the day characterizing all of it. Um, I, I think the president knows what roadside bombs he's worried about politically, and so he's steering away from them. But yesterday represented an important day in a process. It wasn't an important day politically, or at least not effective. So he's not the only one out there who can distract. He's not the only one out there who anticipates the things that they need to steer away from. There's a whole lot of distraction going on, baby. There is. In talking about the legislative process moving forward on other items, the Senate Finance Committee, John Easton, is marking up a drug pricing bill that's awfully close to the government imposing price controls on, on the drug market. Um, the White House supports this bill, uh, and I think that that's pretty interesting. I think it's interesting how the president is – he not understands political distraction, but he also understands political wins, and he wants a win here. He does, and this, this does reflect his campaign rhetoric. I mean, this is something that I think he feels that – he really wants to deliver on in terms of a, of, of a legislative victory uh, because he talked a lot about it on the campaign trail. Uh, he has been working with Speaker Pelosi on this for months, uh, really since maybe even the start of the year, I want to say. And I think that is that is still ongoing as well. So, you know, and, and Nancy Pelosi, too, realizes that this could be an opportunity to get something done that the Democrats have long valued as a priority, um, you know, getting some sort of control of, of, of drug spending and drug prices. Uh, so you have you have two efforts going on here, and the, the Senate is actually in committee, and then in, in the House it's actually a little bit more between, I think, a higher level, and they haven't gotten yet uh, down to the legislating, actual legislating. So there's movement. There's a lot of movement, and I think this is going to be one where the Democrats have to decide, are they willing to let him have a legislative victory on top of his campaign promise. It's a big deal for Donald Trump. It's a big deal. Um, you know, I think back, Adam Belmar, to my own career when I was working for the House leadership and Bill Clinton. We were trying to, we hated Bill Clinton every bit as much as um, they hate Donald Trump, maybe more. And actually, I think that Donald Trump and Bill Clinton are kind of the same person. Um, and Newt Gingrich made a decision which was, I'm going to defend and protect my majority by cutting deals with Clinton. And that really angered Bob Dole. 
Um, do you think that Nancy Pelosi is kind of looking at this and saying, you know, i got to cut some deals to, to keep and protect my House majority? I think so, actually. I think it's a, a wise lesson that you learned. I think she learned it because she hung around and saw the whole thing happen, too. And I really believe that politically that the speaker of all people recognizes that the issues that will rise up to a level of getting out the vote in November of 2020 aren't going to change whether the president nominally got credit for passing things. Democratic issues and their attacks against the president, his character, and all of the superfluous uh, stuff there too, like racism, et cetera, et cetera, uh, are what are charging them up. And they can now afford to give him and themselves demonstrable uh, wins uh, legislatively. She can do that, and she sees a balance, I think. I, I don't, I'm not sure about that. I think that if you give – I think it's a zero-sum game, John Easton. If you give the president some, some victories, it's good for the president. It's also probably good for the Democratic majority. But you can't kill the president yeah. and cut deals at the same time. Yeah, that's right, and, 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 and vice versa. Uh, you can't sit there and trash the Speaker of the House every day and expect – there to be you know some give over there as well and you know i think that um if you want to look at at nancy pelosi and a lot of the the political assessment that's been going on over the last couple months about um impeachment and how she has is she's been very politically shrewd about this and she's drawn a hard line too about hey um you know we got to really watch it here and 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 if you just look at the polling and you understand exactly where she's coming from i mean i'm looking at polling this morning, you look at, at August of 18, uh, 46% support impeachment hearings, 49% oppose. Then January, 38 support impeachment, 57 oppose. And then July 1st of this year, 33% support impeachment, 63 oppose. You're going to take the public through impeachment hearings through with the, with that polling? She knows exactly what's going on out there. There isn't the, isn't the, isn't the backing for it. And so... You know, she is she's been very wise to draw this line because oh, look at look at minimum wage. They the House of Representatives passed a minimum wage bill to fifteen dollars an hour. I think that's that's what it was. I mean, it was almost like it didn't happen right. in part because of all this Mueller stuff. And and Nancy Pelosi knows that it's like guys. I'm sure she's reminding them in in the in their caucus meetings, their weak caucus meetings. It's like we are not breaking through with any of our achievements. You know, that's actually a really, really good point about breaking through on the Democratic um, laundry list of things that they want to do. And that's a perfect example of how ineffective they've been in getting their agenda publicized and people noticing it, which was a difference than I thought what happened with the contract with America, where they had a real agenda and pushed it and marketed it. Uh, Adam Belmar. Can, uh, can I ask a question? Sure. Because I feel like maybe something just happened in a time warp here. <laughs> <clears throat> I get all of what you're saying about uh, Newt Gingrich, but the former speaker, the congressman from Wisconsin, couldn't break through on his agenda, and he passed bills all the time. Um, and that's all they did was sit around and talk about what they were doing, and nobody cared because nobody was watching because nothing happened. And your, your, your idea that you can't cut down the president and work with him simultaneously, I think is is the object lesson of this week. You absolutely can. You can pass a budget and try and tear down the president during would-be impeachment hearings with Mueller concurrently. This is exactly what you can do. Well, my, I guess my, my bigger point is you, you can do that, 
But if you give the president political victories, legislative victories, it actually increases his stock in the polls and makes it harder to beat him. Um, you know, I think that you, you can. And we did that with Clinton. We hated him a long time. But we cut we, we, we cut deals. I hate you long time. But to modify that slightly, Nancy Pelosi, no friend of President Trump. I mean, let's face it, hates his guts. Yeah. Uh, but is is has is the one to have put the brakes on impeachment on the on the House side. Obviously, she is the leader of the House, and she has put the brakes on it. And she's told her caucus, "This is this is futile, and it's probably fatal." So, um, yeah, the airbags went off yesterday. Right. And, <laughs> and, and so, and President Trump knows that. Yeah. And so, that is actually somebody you can, you can work with. Now, if she's leading the charge to take him out of office, it's a whole different story. So, let's just uh, close this up. What are the chances that the Democrats continue to move forward on impeachment? Are they zero or 5%? Zero percent now. Jennyson. Opening impeachment hearings, yeah. zero. Zero. So impeachment is off the table. That's good for the American people. John Eason, what are you buying or selling today? I am uh, buying, uh, and I'm looking across the, the pond, uh, looking across the Atlantic Ocean to uh, the United Kingdom, where they have a new prime minister. So I'm going to buy. I'm buying Britain, and in doing so, I'm buying Boris Johnson. Um, I think that... Uh, Britain has just got to get its act together on this, and if if he is the one and uh, he can he can take them to the, the Brexit promised land, then great. I think they just these guys just have to move on. It is it is paralyzing British politics, even their economy, uh, their 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 political culture, and um, so I'm buying this guy uh, for right now, and I I, I just wish him well. Adam Bellmer. What are we buying or selling today? We are buying Commonwealth Joe Nitro Coffee. How serious are we at EFP about our caffeine? We buy it 10 gallons at a time. <laughs> Commonwealth Joe, your area provider for nitro brewed yummy coffee. Bye, bye, bye. Let me say this. You know, you can, uh, Commonwealth Joe? Commonwealth Joe. You can advertise here. That'd be great. We've done a lot of pipping your product in the past and you know we'll something for the after will be nice um i am going to be buying the concerned fathers of saint peter's uh they're all the dads for who are part of the saint peter's mafia let's put it that way uh and they're all coming to efb tonight uh we're gonna drink some beer and they that's a great fraternal organization of guys getting together and sharing their concerns and beers and i think you know we need more of that we need more of those community type things in our lives and uh Dad's getting together and having a few beers and kind of shooting the shit. I think it's all for great. We share our tribulations, too, not just our trials. Well, tonight we're sharing our beer. That was the whole yeah. purpose, wasn't it? The purpose of tonight was to get rid of our beer. <laughs> 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 With that, I want to thank you for listening to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means... Excellent for business. Yeah, baby.